Hey everyone, today I'm chatting with Morgan Mason. Morgan is a very well-known name in the world of photography and especially in the world of surf photography. He regularly shoots with legends such as Jack Johnson and Kelly Slater and a number of other top surfers and musicians. His client list includes Corona, Apple, Patagonia, goes on and on. Huge list of massive clients and one of the really cool things about his work is that he always sticks to his style. He doesn't compromise if it's for a commercial shoot, but it still gets the message across very, very well. In this episode, we talk about how he got into photography, how he stood out in such a competitive and crowded industry these days with everyone has an Instagram account, uh, but how he cut through the noise, how important networking was to his success, how he beats jet lag, and a ton of other little interesting things. Anyways, we'll get right into it. Here is my chat with surf photographer Morgan Mossen. For people that aren't familiar with your work, can you give us a little rundown on what you do? Yeah, so um, my name is Morgan Mossen. Um, I'm 26 years old. I'm from Santa Barbara, California. Uh, I'm a photographer and filmmaker, and the majority of my work and time is spent uh, making travel, surfing, uh, fine art, adventure, kind of lifestyle work, whether it's photography, short films, um, doing commercials, ad campaigns, or even just like editorial or just fun fine art work for myself. Um, I pretty much spend all of my time on the road traveling and, and either visiting places that I know very well, like Australia, France, Tahiti, um, Brazil, or or picking new places to adventure to that I've never been before and, and just kind of throwing my net out and trying to create as much content as possible. Um, and I spend about eight to nine months a year on the road and um, yeah, I'm doing absolutely 100% what I love. It's, it's, it's exhilarating. Yeah. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you. You kind of have done the ultimate job of compiling the things that you love and your work. It seems like you're nonstop doing what you love. You're pretty young guy, especially for how much you've achieved already. How did your interest in photography start? It kind of happened by accident, to be honest. I was in, uh, when I was 12 years old, I was in a surfing accident where uh, my surfboard whacked me in the face and I was out of the water for a little while. So, um, and in that time period, the school I was going to, it was in seventh grade, we had a mentor project. And so another kid already chose to make a surfboard with a surfboard shaper, which was what I really wanted to do desperately. So I had to get creative and think of something else to revolve around surfing. So I reached out uh, through my dad to a friend of his that was a cinematographer for the Cousteau Society and National Geographic and asked if he could help me uh, delve into to video cameras and, and filmmaking. And so he helped me out and I, I made a short film about surfing with with my closest friends kind of traveling around California or Southern California as much as a, you know, a couple of 12, 13 year olds could do yeah, yeah. and our local surf spots and, and just kind of the lifestyle that involves. And so I filmed and edited it and, uh, and showed it at this, this mentor project, kind of the convention finale at the end of the year. Um, and I was hooked immediately. And so what I did was all throughout junior high and then high schools, I, I, um, worked as hard as I could to save up every penny possible, whether I was um, raking lawns or, or, you know, using the family uh, camcorder to film uh, little birthday events or, or bar mitzvahs or anything. 
and I saved up and I, I bought my own computer and I bought my own, like a decent camera, a Canon GL2. And then progressively just upgraded my equipment and my software and, and taught myself how to um, kind of pursue making short films and uploading them to YouTube and a website and everything. Um, and that climax of making a couple short short films that I actually sold on DVD around the local surf shops and premiered um, when I was 16, 17. But to be honest, it didn't. It wasn't really going anywhere aside from being like a a, a passion of mine. Yeah, and, and so and was there any uh, intention for that or? Did you want it to be a job, or you weren't even thinking about the future? Um, to be honest, it was kind of a it was a it was a tricky situation because at the same time I was balancing school and, and an academic path because I wanted to obviously go to college and a lot of my my between the PSATs, the SATs, and taking a full load of AP classes in high school, I was you know gearing up to try to get you know a scholarship or go to one of the UC schools or and I didn't really know what I wanted to pursue because. Filmmaking at the time was such a, a, a passion and a hobby of mine, but like I said, it it wasn't really amounting to anything. You know, I was I was making like I don't know, ten fifteen bucks a DVD and getting. This is when YouTube was start, first started, kind of starting to get some traction. I was getting some views, a couple hundred thousand here or there, but there was no. I don't think there was any sort of path um, appearing as far as how it could be a alternative career yet and, um, or, or juxtapose, uh, college as a kind of a trajectory to take. And so what I did was I, I was also at the same time teaching myself like Photoshop and illustrator and, and doing some part-time graphic design work for, um, Sean Stussy. And that evolved into a full-time job to the point where I actually realized it might be fruitful to leave high school early um, test out, work full-time for Sean, and then at the same time take uh, night classes at, at City College and then transfer on to a UC school later if necessary. Yeah. So that that's the path I took when I was 16. And um, I did that for several years. Um, actually, I had a bit more free time even to pursue filmmaking. And at, at the same time, too, I was making a, a very decent salary, and so I saved up enough money where I was like, okay, at the age of 18, 19, I'm just going to hit the road and travel and make my dream film. Yeah. And as I got to that point, um, rather serendipitously, my dad, uh, who is an amateur photographer, just a hobbyist, he said, hey, you should check out photography. Here's, a, here's my little DSLR. It was a Nikon D50. Yeah. And then also I have, if you're interested in the attic, I've got my old Nikon film camera, an old um, uh, Nikon, I think it was a, um, I don't remember what kind it was. It was a, a Nikromat. FTN, like yeah. the most rudimentary camera, and he handed that to me, and and uh, he's like, just put that in your backpack and go to, and try it out. You know, I used to be interested in it, and I did it. I took it to the beach one day. I went surfing with my friends, and I shot a couple of photos of them. I didn't know anything; it was all on program mode, and and all the settings were off. But within a minute, I was hooked. It was it was it just kind of made so much sense to me because filmmaking. I've been searching for you know as a teenager, I've been searching for context to to make these films that kind of satiated what I wanted to produce. But to be honest, between working school yeah. and having yeah. the means of, of what a 16, 17 year old has before them, um, I couldn't really make anything. <laughs> I, was yeah. the, you know, I, I barely even had my, my license or a car to drive gotcha. around. In. Um, and so photography just kind of, I guess I don't want to say it was easier, but it, it allowed me to, to inch closer to what I wanted to produce visually so much more effortlessly. And, and I just, I threw all my weight behind it overnight. I think I was 18 at the time is, is when this first happened with the camera. And I just shot photos every day, all day. 
Um, and I'd just ride my bike to work. I'd take my camera and take the slowest way possible and shoot portraits and scenics and, and skate, skate stuff at the skate park or whatever I could. And then likewise, I'd go surfing or camping and all of a sudden my world revolved around photography. And then I, I had this money put away to go on my big trip and I realized I, you know, I really wanted to pursue photography on that to better myself and my subject matter. So I threw down for a water housing and, and you know, a proper Nikon D200, which was a, a kind of a prosumer level camera. And, and at that point, I just never looked back. And that's when, you know, I went on this trip for about four or five months. I was in Australia and Brazil and Fiji and um, Hawaii. And I came back from that and I had such a bounty of photography and a, already kind of a decent website and blog uh, following that when I uploaded all my photos to that, it just... I just started getting a ton of emails from magazines and, and Patagonia and Billabong asked me to work for them and it just, it avalanche and it kind yeah. of clicked immediately. And so from that point on, it's just been, I've, yeah, I've never looked back. That's funny so, when you it, mentioned that uh, how photography seemed more effortless than the filmmaking. In my eye as, as a filmmaker, I do photography just for fun on the side. I think photography, getting into it is effortless, but that getting, getting to that next level where you're recognized is probably harder. Absolutely, and I, yeah. I don't mean to undermine photography. No, I know. I, know. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is like, uh, you know, being 16, 17, yeah. um, uh, having no equipment, having a, a janky old car, and working full time, and also trying to, um, you know, kind of figure out your life path and, and balance out all the, like I said, like a, a college trajectory. Um, there's only so much I could invest. Phys or physically and emotionally and time-wise into making a film, not to mention that I was just a young, you know, ignoramus. Um, so I was just making little piddly surf films and skate films and stuff. And yeah. um, But then with photography, all of a sudden I could take a, take a photo in one one-thousandth of a second and it just kind of, it became, it, it was very tangible. It was like the learning curve all of a sudden I could, I found something I could move along very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, it, and I always hate to say it, but it's like, I, I, you know, you could make a film or shoot a photo of anything, no matter where you are in the world, and it could be interesting if you have the eye for it. Definitely. But at the same time, with photography, um, I was just able to throw more time and energy into it and creativity and get more out of it, I think. And that's, that's I think, where it just kind of came at the right, perfect time, and it allowed me to really elevate the way I was investing myself um, uh, mentally and creatively into the, the visual process. Mm -hmm. The trip that you had planned when you were 18, before you had picked up photography, what was the intention of that trip? You just wanted to go explore on your own? I, so I think it was, I, I had, um, I was very frustrated with school. I was very, um, oversaturated and, and with, um, preparing for college. And like I said, the, the PSATs and the SATs and the AP classes just spread me so thin and, and um, not to mention working and, and saving up money for something I was very passionate about only exacerbated what little extra time I had. Um, and so this traveling trip was like a big release. It was where I could, I didn't really have a game plan. I just, I just called up friends in different parts of the world and said, hey, I'm coming. You know, I'm going to sleep on your couch. And I'm going to go here and there. And I need a car. I need a, I need a, a guide or, or whatever I can get. And I just kind of called in every favor possible and then did as much research as possible once I got there. And and it was it was partially like a, a release of of energy and frustration of, of like I said the whole college high school system and then and um, and me kind of spreading my wings for the first time in my life and then secondly too it was 
it was a creative endeavor. Like I had, I had planned that I would be with uh, a, a proper nice HD video camera, which I had saved up for, and then also a, a Bolex 16 mil. And I wanted to make a, a film that I could really just express my, my curiosity of the world and my, my desire to interact with cultures and travel. And there was no goal, there was no script or anything, but I just, I just needed to get that out of my system, you know, and, and also just even encounter that kind of struggle and that creative strife and then also just movement of energy and um and so that was kind of my plan at first but then like i said like when when a camera landed in my lap um at my dad's encouragement it kind of the, the video camera just kind of got put away i like I, I just was like i need to explore this photography thing i need to see where it'll take me and so it was kind of a that was a gamble in itself but i didn't even think twice about it because it just felt so natural I wish that I had heard this before I went to university because I definitely could have used uh, some travel before I went into studying. Um, yeah, because I think the whole time I was there, I was kind of resenting the fact that I didn't do it and ultimately wasn't fully invested in my education when I was there. On the trip, you mentioned you met up with a bunch of friend, friends along the way, but ultimately, did you go on your own? Yeah, I was on my own. Um, I went to Brazil for about two, three months. And um, I have a, an aunt that's Brazilian and she's in Sao Paulo and she, I met her and she kind of set me up and showed me the ropes. And, and uh, But I just went around and I kind of used that first as a, a way to meet people. Oh, I'm sorry, actually first I went to Australia um, and was in a van with a, a friend of mine, Tyler Warren. He was working on a short film and I, I tagged along and was kind of shooting some video, water video, and then just shooting as, uh, as many photos as I could. And then, then I went to Brazil, met up with my aunt, and she kind of got my, helped me get my feet on the ground in Brazil. And I met up with friends that were exchange students in America and then um, in Rio. And then in, in the north, I met up with just a group of, of really rad uh, kids that were my age, and they showed me around. And, um, and so uh, at that point, I was just kind of like winging it, you know. But I was had I had my support system of, of my extended okay. family there, yeah. and then in and then Fiji, um, uh, sailboat invited me to go and and jo like like uh, spend time with them, sail circumnavigating the islands, and uh, and so I asked in exchange of, of uh, salary to bring two of my closest friends, um, and so I got them on board, and it turned into this like like amazing adventure as we sailed around Fiji, just surfing and hiking yeah. and diving and spearfishing and and everything and then um and then in Australia I was there for um I went back and was there for another solid I think it was like three or four months and I just to be honest I was just cold calling like like fr friends and heroes of mine from the internet and people I had met on like Flickr or people I'd just meet at the beach or or old family friends or anyone I could think of and I would just kind of connect the dots as I traveled around the coastlines and um and just tried to go on as many little adventures and trips and see as many beaches and mountains as I could. Was it easier to connect with these people than you thought, these people that you're cold calling? Absolutely. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it, it's, it's tricky. I was actually, um, in hindsight, like it's very easy when you're 17, 18 year, or 18, 19 years old to do that. Because, yeah. Cause you have nothing but a backpack on you and, yeah. and you're young and you're earnest and, and um, most people have a very, you know, kind of kindred outlook to welcome you into their home. Um, that being said, like in hindsight, it's a, you know, it, that was a huge ask to, to go to countries and just 
constantly knock on doors and say, "Hey, could you have a can I sleep on your couch or what, yeah. you know, whatever?" But, you might have been helped but, uh, by the the naive fact that you didn't know it was a big deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it was actually it was it was really cool because it was a growing point at, at, for my character where, you know, um, it, it's funny because it's like I, I remember like the second or third day in Australia, I was staying at my friend Justin's house, and I was like, okay. I just woke up one day and I was like, the bed has to be, the bed in the room I'm staying in has to be cleaner than I found it. Um, I'm going to do all the dishes. I'm going to make sure like everything's immaculate. I have to follow all his house instructions. If the garage, all that stuff, it really um, kind of helped like build a really good respect barrier. And I think like, you know, I, what, what money I had, I'd, I'd always try to like treat them to like a beer or a dinner or, or do a little shopping for food or, or cook for them or anything. And, and, um, and it, you know, people are really cool with that. And as long as you bring an awesome energy into the house, it's like in, in hindsight, I can't really do that now because I travel with a lot of video equipment and I'm, you know, usually working on some sort of project that's, that's very tedious and requires like me to be in and out. It just, it, it's, it's, you know, that's kind of a closed door in my life. But at the same time, it's like, um, when I, I, I always like to have people over to my place now and it's like, it's, it's just kind of a great, um, way to kind of, extend a welcome uh welcoming to other people and then you know and to help show them around where you're from or or just to to give them a place to stay it's like it's it's cool and i don't really expect people i expect you know it's the only thing that's sometimes frustrating is like you'll go months without communicating with them and then you're like in their backyard and and so i always try to um you know just stay in touch with people it's yeah. kind of like and, and it helps a lot it's yeah, essentially treating people how you would like to be treated, and it, it just becomes a whole circle because that's exactly. what you get in return. Those yeah. principles, having them at the age of eighteen when you're in a foreign country, they must have come from somewhere. Did you learn that from your parents, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, it's not like it just dawned on me like some grand revelation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my parents um, are are two of my, they're actually two, I consider them my best friends and they always instilled like, you know, great, um, um, properties of respect and, and cleanliness and politeness and, and, you know, manners and whatnot. But, um, at the same time too, uh, it was really interesting, you know, when you live with your parents as a kid, it's like you make your bed, you make sure your floor is clean and then you clear your table and you help with the dishes and maybe mow the lawn and stuff. But, this was different. Like someone welcomes you into your home that you don't really know and you have to learn them. And it's not like you learn the boundaries of your parents exactly. of what you can't, can't do and get away with. It's yeah. like you want to proactively be the best guest possible, but also, you know, give them your company when you're with them and, and, and not, um, it's, you want to show it's a different tier of respect, but it's definitely built on what my parents had instilled in me as a kid and, and the way I was raised. Um, but it's an incredible, I, I mean, without that, without being able to navigate that, or, or I would actually consider um, that the most fundamental period of my life from 18 to 20, you know, when I was doing that. And, um, and without it, it'd be kind of impossible. You know, hotels would have exacerbated my, my savings immediately. And, mm -hmm. and likewise, all the people I met or, or strengthened my relationships or called on they showed me so many cool things, whether it was like a secret hike or a, or a beach or they invited me to a party where I met someone else or anything. It's, it's incredible, you know, so it is a, it is a real tool to, to be able to have that. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, that you, instead of taking pay, you took two of your friends to Fiji with you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure at that time you 
probably could have used the money? And what was um, your thinking behind that? No, I, I had a fair bit of money. Like when I was working for Stussy full time doing graphic design, uh, he paid me a very proper salary, and I was able to um, put away money for all the cameras and computers and plane tickets and stuff that I needed. Um, and uh, but but as far as uh, trading the salary for taking my friends on board, um, it was kind of one of my first paying gigs as a photographer, and, and they had invited me to come do some photo and some video work for them. And because I obviously had no real name or anything, except I had a I had a little blog and a website that had a bit of a following for my YouTube videos. But um, as far as having no name for like my commercial work or or I had no reputation or reputability for working for any brands or clients, like righteously so, they didn't offer me much aside from my expenses and, and a, a little salary to go there. And I said, hey, well. You know, instead of like uh, hypothetically, like I don't know, eight or ten thousand dollars to to be paid to shoot on the sailboat, I said, what if like you you get my two friends, you know, you set them up with nice rooms and let them bring all their boards and and uh, swimming and diving gear and stuff, and and they come and they're kind of like both, they're in the photos, they're kind of like my um, yeah. talent or models, I guess, <laughs> but but also they can be a part of the adventure too, and mm-hmm. they were stoked on that idea, so. Yeah, it's a pretty good setup. We uh, we've done a few of the few of those in our time, uh, like growing our business as well, and it can work out really well. You can end up in some really cool places just bartering your services. Totally, both parties win. Uh, yeah. What was your first paid job as a photographer? Um, so I would probably, I mean, that would have technically been my as a photographer. That would have been my first paying job. Um, like prior, I mentioned I was in Australia in a van with my friend Tyler Warren, but I was there to get paid to shoot some video in the water. Yeah, and I was just kind of piggybacking photos on top of that. So the first paying job would have been the sailboat uh, in Fiji, yeah. and then um, because I I didn't really approach it that way, um, I came back from that and reconfigured my whole blog and website to be about you know or to largely incorporate my photography. And at that point. Um, Surfer Magazine and Tracks Magazine in Australia reached out to me to, to use some of my photos. And then at the same time, too, Patagonia reached out and, and were really interested in all my photos from Fiji. Mm-hmm. Um, and because one of my friends that came on the trip was a, a, a surfer for them. And so they purchased a ton of my photos, and that kind of really got my foot in the door with Patagonia to do some trips for them and then also to do yeah, more shooting. Um, and so that spring, the following spring, the catalog came out and it had my photo on the cover and a bunch of photos inside of it. And, um, so it was kind of, that was kind of like a, or, um, a byproduct job, I guess, of, of sorts where I didn't, they didn't actually send me out to shoot the photos. But, um, at that point, I think the first job, the first real job would have been, um, the next year. Yeah. When Patagonia sent me to Mexico to support Escondido to do a board short shoot, mm. um, Followed by a Billabong woman's asked me to go to Tahiti to do like a lifestyle fashion shoot with their girls. Shortly after that, yeah. How many jobs now do companies actually commission you for, and how many are you just going out and shooting and then licensing photos after? Because your work does seem uh, very consistent to your voice and what you believe in. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good question, actually, because. I would say right now about 75% of the jobs I do are for work where I'm being commissioned to make something or I'm on a proper photo shoot. Um, but what I do is I piggyback my own personal trips onto it. So if, if I'm going somewhere 
um, it's a win-win actually because, for example, I go to Hawaii probably five or six times a year. I go to Australia four or five times a year, Hong Kong, France, etc. I have these places I, I consistently visit that are just like, you know, kind of quote-unquote my photo studios of sorts. Um, they're so consistent and easy to shoot and there's so much work there. But what I'll do is if it's somewhere I'm very familiar with, I'll always add a couple of days in the beginning or the end to go, you know, adventure, go to jump over from France, Portugal or Spain, go shoot architecture or um, go to Australia and I go meet some friends in the South Coast and make a short film. Or And then if I'm doing a shoot in somewhere I've never been before for a brand or a client or a magazine, I'll add extra time to go check that place out and explore it on my own, you know, on the front or the, or the back end. And so that's what kind of really fills in my schedule. And it also helps too because, um, you know, I'm using these trips to kind of lay down the infrastructure, like whether they're, you know, they're paying for all the airfare, they're, they're showing me one, one part of the place that I can either stay on and experience even more having now gleaned this knowledge of, of having been there. Or likewise, I use that if I'm in Europe, I can just puddle jump right over to, you know, uh, another country and, uh, and shoot there. So I'd say it's about, I mean, 75% of the time I'm, I'm doing commissioned work and 25% of the time I just get on a plane and go somewhere for the sake of it, traveling. But, um, but almost out of that big chunk of 75% of, of commissioned work or, or shoots, um, almost every trip, unless I'm on a really tight deadline to get back to America or jump on another one, I'm adding free time to go do my own stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you say do your own stuff, you're still shooting while you're out there. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, like I I try to shoot every day. Like I, I just kind of have to get it out of my system, whether it's video or photos. I have to. I just love documenting everything, but also it's just traveling. Really, like there's a lot of times, like if I'm in, I just love checking out cities and and going for hikes and surfing and and going to the beach and free diving and doing whatever I I really like, but. Um, you know, even if it's just like book shopping or snowboarding or, or checking out art museums, I'm trying to do that every day somewhere. Yeah. And now, so now you're working with some pretty large clients like Apple, uh, Corona. I've seen you all over the Corona Instagram page. Uh, how did you make the transition? I mean, I guess Patagonia is kind of the same level, but how did you make the transition from those smaller projects to the big companies like Corona and Apple? Um, it was interesting. It was funny you say that because um, Patagonia is one of the biggest and most prestigious brands in the world right now. I can, or in my mind, yeah, not yeah. fiscally, but for what they do and how they do it. Um, but it was funny because they they're based in Ventura, which is about thirty miles or forty five fifty kilometers south of where I grew up. So a lot of my friends worked there. A lot of mutual friends uh, from surfing and traveling and and. Um, and like I said, like they sponsored a, a good friend of mine growing up. So that was kind of a, I had, I, I got really lucky in that sense where that was the first place, like the most natural place to get my foot in the door. Um, and I didn't even realize kind of the, the weight and um, that they carried at the time. I was just like, oh, cool. It's that, that brand down the street sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but then like, you know, uh, Patagonia really kind of cemented, the first way I worked with a brand and, and shot lifestyle for catalog and web and print and digital and everything. And then at the same time, uh, Billabong reached out to me to shoot their woman's stuff because I was spending a lot of time shooting lifestyle and, and my girlfriend at the time. Um, and I kind of had a real connection with shooting a woman that I really enjoyed and, and, and focused on sharing almost more so than surfing action even. And so through Billabong, 
I've developed a really tight relationship with through a woman named Megan Villa, their marketing director at the time. And, and, uh, and she really, and, and Candy Harris, and they really enabled me to travel a lot and, um, and shoot surfing, fashion, lifestyle, everything. And, um, and all the while I was uploading my, to my website, my social media, my blog, everything. And, and, uh, and so, uh, surf brands, uh, and then also I was working with Surfer Magazine, and so through Surfer Magazine, um, I was connecting with a lot of different athletes and and shooting portraits and lifestyle and and action and and networking with a lot of different brands on smaller levels, like selling them a, a you know a, a portrait here or a action shot there, mm-hmm. and um, and so what happened is I, I kind of I I almost um, hunkered down. I did hunker down on the surf world. And the next year in 2011, I started working for Quicksilver full time. And for about three years, I was working with them. And, and it was full time working with Quicksilver, uh, working with Surfer Magazine, and then doing some stuff for Red Bull and Monster Energy. Um, but for the most part, Quicksilver occupied all my time. But because their top tier athletes, Stephanie Gilmore and Kelly Slater, yeah. um, transcended the surf world so much that. Uh, I found my photos and my video was kind of tagging along and riding on their coattails. And so all of a sudden golf digest asked me to shoot, you know, Kelly Slater for them. And then, uh, you know, uh, I licensed photos of Stephanie Gilmore to like Harper's Bazaar and, and like, like all these non endemic brands started reaching out to me. And, and because these, like I said, Kelly and Steph were so, um, massive that my photos were popping up everywhere. Their, yeah. their PR agents were getting my photos in all sorts of unreal magazines and stuff I could never dream of. And, and for, you know, on brands too. And so at the end of 2013, I kind of, I, I really, or during 2013, I really made an effort to, um, to, to uh, strengthen my relationships with these bigger, bigger brands and editorial outlets. And then to make the jump out of the surf world and start shooting, you know, for them and, and working on larger jobs. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of like the trajectory I approached, um, you know, working with corporate clients. And I found that it's very, you know, obviously the corporate world is very different from the editorial world. But at the same time, they kind of symbiotically feed off each other's energy where, I mean, everyone says the print, the print industry is dying. And it is. It's, it's, at least right now, it's becoming very streamlined to a few titles. But um, your work that's being seen in it is still getting a lot of eyes on it so like when i had stuff in wired magazine or national geographic or condé nast like you get a lot of amazing inquiries and um it opens a lot of doors you know more so than having your nameless photo on a lexus ad you know yeah, or something exactly. like that. yeah so, so yeah for any upcoming photographers now i mean looking back at your past it seems like networking in addition to to uh, producing great work your networking seems to be a huge factor in your success. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Um, Absolutely. Are there any I tips you'd have for yeah, upcoming um, photographers? It's it's really interesting because I get I, I try to um, when I was growing up, there's there's a photographer I looked up to and 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 uh, he was really cool while I was making videos, and then the moment I started shooting photos, he he got really pissed and kind of <laughs> closed his door on me. And, yeah. And it was funny because he was kind of like he was the guy locally he had a a great amount of esteem and clout as far as being a local photographer and and um and so to be honest i was so befuddled by that that i didn't really know where else to look and this was before like a photo editor or or i didn't i didn't really look at a photo editor or pdn or anything i I just kind of winged it and kind of learned my own way a bit and and i think 
and so in this, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is uh, I get a lot of emails and requests from people asking for advice, and I always try to sit down and give them the most you know pertinent and profound advice. But at the same time, too, I can't really say that uh, my way was the best way because there's so many different ways to cut it depending yeah. on the way you are because it's a creative industry. But in the world of, of business, um, which is very uh, synergetic with growing your photography career, it boils down to, like you said, networking mm. and then also just being able to be as professional as possible to get what you want. It's a very, I, 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 yeah, I hate to say it, but it's, it's a very selfish thing where you know, your photography will, and filmmaking will only grow as much as you want it to. And you have to be really hungry for it. I, was, I wasn't hungry for, you know, money or power or fame or anything. I just wanted to travel. Mm-hmm. And so I'd sit there and I'd make a list of all the places I wanted to go, yeah. who I wanted to go with, and how I wanted to get there and why. And so I'd say, I need to go to India. I need to go with these people because I want to shoot surfing and climbing and I want to I want to go here, here, and here. It'll cost this much money, um, and I need to figure out how to get this money and how to and where you know and what I'll trade in exchange. And, yeah. and it wasn't I wasn't saying I need to make this much money to you know pay for my mortgage or whatever. Right, but I was right. saying um, this is how I'm going to make it happen. And I'd just go out and I would write emails and I would make sure my website was pristine and I would make sure I was you know as politically correct and and my media looked perfect on the internet. If you Googled me and and um, and I just got I figured out one how to ask for whatever I wanted, two how to really seal the deal and, and kind of negotiate these instances where you know nothing comes for free. And then and then third is is being able to to as professional as possible deliver something. Yeah, of course. And at that point, you know, um, the world is your oyster because you are essentially you're creating a product and you can trade it for whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that too, it's like I think the if I sat down and looked at every, like I, like I said, like every photographer is different. So I always try to approach every person differently when I, when I do issue my advice. But um, the common denominator, what I always say is that first and foremost is, is being as professional as possible. That means answering your phone, having a polite voicemail, you know, being able to type a, a very well uh, written email and, um, and also, it's just, you know, if you're saying you're going to do something, do it. Like, uh, you know, don't sit on your inbox for weeks or months or, or um, if someone asks to see photos, send it back to them immediately. You know, every, every person that's asking something of you is an opportunity, you know, and likewise, every person you meet is an opportunity to, to grow or go somewhere or do something. And, um, and it really, like I said, it, it, it just circles back to your energy. The amount you put in is the amount you get out. You know, but the the cool thing is in this creative world, you're not you're not an accountant working at H and R Block. You're yeah. like you're a photographer on the internet and working for brands across the world, in and out of airplanes and airports. It's 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 unreal. Yeah, the, it will be hard work, but you you got to remember what you're doing it yeah. for, right? Just look out Absolutely. the window or <laughs> review your day. Uh, so it was all that all seems pretty calculated what you did, but very specific to what yeah who you are. Uh, Recently, I did an episode with Chris Burkard and another photographer, Matt Draper, and neither of them had any formal training in photography mm-hmm. either, which by the sounds of it, you don't. You didn't go to school for photography. No, no, I, I didn't at all. Uh, what are I your thoughts that. on that now? Um, so that's another thing is I, I do get a, a lot of 
um, questions about going to photo school. That's kind of another thing. And I always preface my emails or my conversations with anyone saying, listen, like I'm the worst person to ask about that because uh, not only did I essentially, I tested out of high school when I was 16, but um, you know, I I didn't even like, I have no concept of what it's like to go to a photo school or anything. And and I've since met, you know, so many photographers and filmmakers that have, like, like you know, guys like Chris Ricard that are self-taught, or guys like, um, you know, Michael Haber, or whatever, that went to the Pasadena Art Institute. And um, it's really interesting because I kind of do observe and analyze it because sometimes I'm of the ilk that you know, college is and, and school is very important, equally as much so for what you'll learn as the people you'll meet while you're there you'll make that's that's what I kind of am always missing and that's it's more so in film school than photography school is I look at a lot of filmmakers and 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 directors I know now and and they work with a lot of people and collaborate with a lot of people they met in the throes of college yeah. and that's an incredible thing to to meet someone like you know and you might suck at screenwriting but you could be an amazing director and in your class sitting right next to you could be the guy that goes on to write all your scripts and screenplays for the rest of your life. Like it's incredible the way that works. And I don't have that, you know, like, but at the same time, I overcompensated by using the internet and using social media to find people around the world and collaborate with them, um, you know, after the fact. And, and, uh, and I think also with school, it's tricky because it's like, like, like firsthand, I watched Brooks school close down in Santa Barbara. And that was one of the most esteemed photography schools in the yeah. country. Um, and I watched a lot of kids come out of that, um, a bit confused because they had very antiquated, um, teaching methods. And a lot of the professors there were, were retired from generations prior. And I think that photography is, and filmmaking are one incredibly dynamic and they change every day, week, month, and year with new equipment or techniques. And then secondly, it's like the landscape that our photos are shown on the internet and social media. We're on the biggest shift it's seen since it probably went from film to digital or even before mm. that, like it's incredible. And that can't really be taught. That has to be felt out, you know, it has to be learned and dynamically. And I think that's where I always tell people to, 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 or, or in my mind, I think that you really have to kind of look at how, how and where you want to see yourself in a, in a year, you know, two years, five years and 10 years. And, and you just kind of have to, it's like throwing a dart at a dartboard. You hope it lands on the bullseye, but because of the way everything's changing, it's, um, there's no predictability to it. Like I said, it's like, like circling back to being an accountant. It's like you start out as a junior accountant after getting your degree and you, you know, you either work your way to being a senior accountant in your office or you start your own practice. But, um, it's such a clear trajectory. Whereas with photography and filmmaking, I mean, when I started, only six years ago, seven years ago, um, there was no Instagram or Facebook. Like I couldn't even sign up for Facebook because they were only allowing people with college emails. Now <laughs> Facebook, you know, delivers seriously 50 to 60% of the traffic to my website, let alone Instagram is, you know, the majority of my focus for time and energy for showcasing my newest and latest work and networking with all my clients and, and anyone from art buyers to creative directors. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, that's, that's insane. That's just a bit over five years. And yeah, I mean, who's to say what the next five years are going to look like? I know I, it's, it's really unreal, you yeah. know? Um, 
And so, and I'm shooting on DSLRs that have the, the power of Hasselblad digital cameras that cost 50, 60 grand five years ago, you yeah, know, yeah. it's unbelievable. So, um, the way it changes, it's like, it is, it's so tricky that I think like, I, I guess circling back to your initial question is that people that really are lost or really don't know what they want to do should go to school to either meet like-minded people or find um, something they can really hunker down and, and study, like if it's fine art or if it's landscape or if it's darkroom or, or, or um, fashion. Because in those, those ways, you will meet people that are either very specialized or you'll <clears> – <throat> Excuse me. Um, you'll enter programs that can refine your and and teach you that immensely. Whereas, um, I think if you just want to like do what I did or CRISPR card did, where you just want to put yourself out there and travel and then see what happens as you learn, you know, kind of through the the school of life of sorts. Um, it's a crapshoot, but mm -hmm. if you have the energy and time and patience and 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 you want to really apply yourself there, it will work out for you no right. matter what. Right. I really liked what you said uh, about how you kind of reverse engineered each specific trip that you wanted to go on. And did you do that on a bigger scale as well with your goals? Um, kind of, yes and no. I, it's, it's tricky because in hindsight, um, if I look back on everything that I've done since the moment I left high school, it was all pretty spur of the moment yeah. and it was all pretty um emotionally based like you know and and very rash and there was nothing really methodical i did about it but at the same time too what i did have or what i did pour all my time and energy into developing were the tool sets i would tackle these things with um and then as far as like like tackling these these trips and 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 stuff um what I would do is I would plan these trips, sometimes very spur of the moment, sometimes very methodically and, and with a lot of time and energy. But regardless, what I would do is I would splay them out to see sometimes during the trip, sometimes before and usually after of how I can milk it for every, like I would just milk every second on every trip. It's such a, it's a, you know, it's a blessing to be able to travel and to yeah. leave your country. And, and, um, and so I'm up at, up at five and I go to bed at midnight on these trips. Like I try to make the most of it. Um, there's always something to do because the moment I'm back in, in California, I'm, I'm going to be bored. Um, and so, you know, like I said before, during and after trips, it's really, it really helps to sit down and say, what can I get out of this? What can I do? And, um, and you see that there's a micro level where you can get so many photos and you can meet so many people and you can, you can go so many places and, and whatever. But on the macro level, you can use these trips and these projects to really jump from level to level. Yeah. Each and one is a slingshot up to the next exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and that's where sometimes you connect the dots before, sometimes it's after, and every trip is different, every project is different. But when you can sit there and you can, I think it, a really important thing about photography and, and, uh, and, um, and growing yourself is that every step you take forward, no matter, you might try something and fail, you might try something and succeed immensely, but the fact that you try something that's slightly bigger and better or more out of your comfort circle than the last thing that you did, that's where the true growth comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about your style as well a little, a little bit. Uh, yeah, when I first stumbled upon your work, I found, uh, I think it's just called Water, right? Your short film on Vimeo. 
Yeah. Yeah, I found that and I still put it on if I'm ever feeling kind of like stressed out or need to chill while I'm doing some work. <laughs> it's just basically five minutes of some epic underwater shots. Uh, but yeah, your style seems very timeless. All of your shots, they're not, even when you're shooting for a brand, they're not aggressively branded or anything like that. Is that a conscious decision? So I think like with style, like I don't, I don't consciously make an effort to shoot in any particular way or to focus on any particular subject matter. I think I just always try to express, um, what, what I'm curious about. And I'm very curious about colors, shapes, textures, and kind of, and, and, and light and movement. And I think that kind of stems from studying art a lot as a kid. I've always been super passionate about art and art history, as well as in film. I think film really, really guides me. And um, and it's interesting because if you watch the, if you watch anything from like a, a Kurosawa or a Werner Herzog or, or any sort of classic film, um, and then or you watch like a modern beer commercial, you'll notice that the best films or at least this is my opinion, the best films always focus on a feeling or an idea or a concept and never on a product or a person. Mm. Um, and I, I, I mean, like, obviously, it's the, the best films will focus on people um, and their struggle or whatever or a beer, but, like, not in a way that it's they're presenting the facts or, or something super upfront, but they're using that more as, like, a vessel for... Um, exploration or curiosity or feelings and emotions and I think kind of that's where that's has really rubbed off on me as I as I spent a lot of time as a kid and even now studying art and filmmaking um is that a lot of the a lot of things that people and even myself would sometimes want to focus on the easy way it just kind of dissolves and fades away and I think like I, I kind of approach everything more in the sense like even if I'm not making a film, if I'm just shooting photos, I, I shoot photos in the way that I would kind of make a film and, and, and DP a film and, and have it look and feel. And in that sense, like the products and the people fade away. And I think it's like, it's just kind of a true expression of like what I'm really curious about. And so like a, a good example is like maybe if I'm on a Corona shoot and you know, there's that timeless shot of everyone cheersing beers at the sunset. Like, yeah, of course I'll take that shot or that moment will happen. But, um, Instead, I'll, I'll also just kind of wander with my camera, you know, no assistance or no lighting or flashes or anything. And I'll just kind of look for, for a, like a, a moment of light or a moment of texture or a moment of, of like a, a, a feeling or a, a smiling or a, someone smiling or an expression or a portrait. And oftentimes like those little moments or just by kind of overanalyzing everything um, from a visual standpoint, those can those satiate me and, and what I'm after a lot more than than the bigger picture. And I think that's like like what you said with the water video. Um, I mean, I'm I'm very honored by the success that has had, but it's also very funny to me because it's just all those are all like B sides from the surf trips <laughs> exactly. I did and commercials I shot. Like the majority of that comes from a commercial I shot with Kelly Slater that was supposed to be about board shorts, and I, <laughs> I had all this footage. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll make a little video. Of yeah, it. and it in turn turned out to be the most popular thing I've really ever made. And, uh, and it's funny because it's like, those are all like trimmings that otherwise would just be rotting on a hard drive somewhere. And, um, and, but those are the things that I'm like passionate about the most. And those are the things that kind of like really inspire me. And, and, uh, 
And so it's, it's funny how that works, but like, you know, I just kind of, I, I try to experience every moment beyond just what I'm there to shoot. And I think oftentimes like when you really appreciate, look around and appreciate everything, that's when you, you start to realize that on the bigger and smaller picture, there's a lot of epic stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you know the music producer, Rick Rubin. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So I heard him say in the, I think it was a podcast a while back, I Basically, when young artists come to him asking for advice on what they should produce next, his big thing is don't look at what's going on today because a lot of this stuff is going to fade. Try and find something that has stood the test of time in the last, I don't know, 50 or 100 years. Find the Mm -hmm. things that have made it to today and try and base your work off of that. So it uh, seems similar to kind of what your style is. Yeah, that's interesting too. Um, because at the same time, like I, I, or yeah, I think that's a good point. I think as far as like influences and, and looking beyond or looking at the kind of the lateral scope of media and then what's, what's come before and what's coming. Um, it's funny because I'm really bad at how ha- I've hardly seen any classic films. I've hardly, I don't follow any photographers. I've, I'm so ignorant when it comes to knowing about Ansel Adams or Henry okay. Carter Brazone yeah. or, all those, I, I haven't studied or opened any books, but I think what's really interesting is I have spent a lot of time um, kind of cherry picking some films to study. Like I really love like Werner Herzog's Lessons of Darkness and Darren Aronofsky's like The Fountain and and um, and uh, Children of Men and uh, The Tree of Life and stuff. And and then at the same time too, like in art, like Wassily Kandinsky and and Basquiat and Ashley Bickerton have been huge influences and. And I think having those external influences and, and some of those guys like, like Darren Aronofsky and Ashley Bickerton, they're making more art today than in films than they have before ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having an external influence is really, really important. And um, External being and, outside of the photography yeah, world. Yeah, completely right? outside of your bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it really opens your mind. Like I, I find like I like I don't go on Instagram personally too much. I try to avoid it mm-hmm. because it's either I, I find myself um, either spending too much time like looking at like silly funny stuff and just wasting my time, <laughs> yeah. or if I do look at like what like I follow a couple of my closest friends like Zach Noel and Trent Mitchell, like great photographers and whatnot. But if I look too much at guys like you know Chris Picard or or, you know, what's even like Zach Noyle, a good friend of mine, um, it kind of becomes an echo chamber. Like they, they do mm-hmm. stuff, like they're shooting stuff similar to me. They're in similar places to me. Um, and it obviously I, I, I am a bit competitive, but then also at the same time, as far as the scope of the way your mind churns and the, the comes up with things, like I said, it's kind of an echo chamber where, you start to nitpick the small things and not the bigger things. And not, not to mention you start to, um, I, I don't know, I guess you start to, your, your overall curiosity and creativity becomes a bit watered down. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to look externally for influence and, and, uh, and um, inspiration. I totally agree. And it's kind of what I was getting at with uh, yeah, the water film that you made. Uh, if you had played off the current day themes of video, you would have done all these quick cuts to glitch mob music and zoom transitions and stuff like that. Right. 
uh, but mm-hmm. instead you made something that was completely your own. And I guess you didn't even really think it would be that much of a hit, right? But it actually did resonate. Uh, no, not at all. I um, I just made it for. I was actually really bored one day in LA, and yeah. um, uh, my girlfriend left for work in the morning, and I was just I had nothing to do. I was sitting at home pajamas, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I miss editing. I haven't edited something in like a month or two, yeah. so I threw all that down and I made it. And by that evening, it was finished, and and um. I was just like, oh, that was fun. And uh, I showed, I think, my mom or something like the next week. And she's like, oh, you should put that online. And so I put it online and I was like, and, and the reception was amazing. And um, it was really funny. But um, yeah, I think like I, I made that almost largely in part because that song is one of my favorite songs by a friend of mine who's a musician in New Zealand. And um, it just kind of was like a natural expression, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit uh, while we still have you and talk a bit about kind of your lifestyle. Uh, you're in Australia now. Your home base is in California. You're on the road uh, nine months out of the year, you said? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Do you ever experience burnout from all that travel? Um, no, to be honest. like I, I think more so than photography or filmmaking or art or any any passions I have, traveling is is the number one. And I think, like I, I explained earlier, like I like to make photos and, and videos every day. I I kind of have to because if I if I see something that's really cool and I don't have my camera in my my hand, it's really frustrating, obviously. Yeah. But um, but at the same time, it's like I, and it's also you know it also justifies all this traveling, you know. Um. But um but I just love like wandering around cities and going to art galleries and, and seeing concerts. And like I said, like just hiking and camping and, and um, climbing and meeting people and eating foods and, and skateboarding and, and surfing and, and beach going and stuff. And like that to me is my number one passion really. And I think like photography and, and filmmaking really just kind of tag along to document that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a vessel that and, you get you to yeah, these places. And, and so I don't, I don't really ever burn out on it. Like there's been times where like, you know, I've, I've done, I went to Hawaii, it was two years ago. I went to Hawaii 10 times, I think. And I was just like, at a certain point I, I do like, it's funny cause I'll never bemoan going to Hawaii because like, you know, had I, I look at my closest friends that went through college and like, you know, one's an engineer and, and one works at Apple doing GIS and another one is a, um, a lawyer. And I look at what they do and like, they they sit under like um halogenic lights all day reading yeah. and staring at computer screens and like i honestly like if it's raining i'll still go out and shoot photos in the rain or go surfing i love it it's amazing and i'll never take that for granted ever what i will do is i'll bemoan like los angeles airport like i yeah cannot stand LAX yeah and, and same here and something like that or like the amount of time i'll spend like sitting in traffic to and from there or or um you know, sometimes like if I do have to go, like like if I have to go to New York a couple times in a year, and um, I do get a bit exasperated with that and like the lifestyle there and keeping up with all my friends and, and like uh, you know working all day and then being expected to go and eat dinner until two, like that's I, I sometimes yeah. perceive certain aspects of it like to be a bit cumbersome or unhealthy. But like honestly, at the end of the day, you'll never ever hear me complain about anything. Um, that has to do with this lifestyle or like, well, 
where I'm at with in accordance to my passions and the amount of travel I do. The only thing I miss is my dog. That's yeah. It. Nothing else. <laughs> How do you have a dog if you're on on the road for nine months of the year? So my my he's he's I've basically drifted him into the family, and so my my oh, parents perfect. take care of him now when I'm traveling. Yeah. What type of dog? Uh, he's a bloodhound Sharpe. Okay, so it's pretty big dog, yeah. 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 Exactly. It's not coming down the plane with you. Yeah. No. So that's the only thing that I really um, that, and I think. I don't because I don't I don't um, get jet lagged at all. I, I beat that several years ago, and and that was a huge um, by by working around caffeine. That was a I I feel like that's my personal theory is that that was a huge breakthrough. And so um, and then I I'm very meticulous about my diet and the way I exercise and and the way I approach traveling too because you know like like I said like a lot of these shoots I'm up at six eating breakfast in the dark shooting you know whether it's beer drinking or cars or, or women or whatever, like, and you know, it's, it's not all fun and games. Like we'll be shooting 15 outfits a day on three models. And it's like in hundred degree weather in Panama and it's, it's brutal. It's like, you know, it's exhausting and you've got, you know, techs and assistants and everything and, and art directors and creative directors and stylists and stuff. And yeah, you need to be it, there. Yeah, yeah. It's not always fun, but I mean, like I try to always make it fun and I, and I, Every I chalk everything up to be experience, and and what I do do, and what I do try to exert a, a lot of power and energy in doing is trying to make every shoot different than the last. Mm. So now, and I'm also now in the point where I can I've, I've I I kind of have worked to this point where, and part of the reason why I, um I I try, got out of the surf industry is because it got repetitive, right. and I really I really like if someone asked me to if Gap asked me to shoot studio stuff, I would do it once, but I wouldn't do it twice mm. because it just would be too boring and monotonous. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I do spend a lot of time and energy trying to make sure that everything, everything variation is key. Yeah. Yeah. How did you beat jet lag? And please don't tell me it involves no coffee. Yes, it's no coffee oh, and no caffeine. No. So I used to be an English tea addict and yeah. caffeine is even more potent than that, but it's a lot more of a... Um, slow and broad uh, assimilation to your body and I cut that out because my teeth were getting really yellow and I was I was starting to have like almost like you know sleep apnea mm -hmm. and um and so and then with coffee like I, I have a, a a taste for coffee and, and it's it's uh it's great as far as like an upper but you know I'm just I I cut caffeine before traveling and during traveling and and I'm very um you know, what will happen is like, for example, flying to, I was in Chile last Wednesday, which was four hours ahead of California. I got home on Wednesday and I left for Australia on Sunday, which is seven hours behind California. So it's 11 hour time difference and, you know, just no coffee several days before the flight, on the flight, after the flight. And, you know, then in California, knowing I didn't know I was coming to Australia until the day before, but, um, you know, I go to bed a little bit later instead mm -hmm. of going to bed at midnight. I go to bed at like two, yeah. which takes a little bit of energy. And I wake up at like, but then I sleep in methodically at the next day, go to the airport, stay up as late as I can on the plane, wake up and I'm fine. I just yeah. walk right off. No coffee or anything. Yeah. And it, it works. It's like, um, you know, you'll like in those extra two, three hours of wiggle room, you'll, you'll like start yawning maybe once for 15 minutes or whatever, but mm -hmm. it, it really, really worked for me. And I think diet too, like not eating heavy foods. So I was trying to 
find like a fish or chicken and a salad instead of like a hamburger. I haven't had a hamburger or pizza in so long, you know, unless I'm in like, you don't miss it at all. Of, I mean, if I'm at home and like we're on the boat, I'm having a barbecue with friends, I'll make a hamburger. If we're going out for a birthday, I'll have pizza or whatever. But, um, really avoiding those heavy foods and like, you know, breads and and fatty stuff. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm no nutritionist and, and it sounds like I'm just spewing um modern age you know, gluten-free yeah, yeah all that stuff yeah you know I, I don't really placate into that too much but i think like by eating lighter and avoiding caffeine and alcohol and stuff like that really has helped with jet lag I, it, like it's non-existent for me actually that's huge so yeah. it's kind of interesting i can't wait to try that <laughs> I, I actually really want to like kind of run clinical trials on myself and um and figure out because everyone has their kind of their anecdote as to how to beat it mm-hmm. but um uh, I would like to think that like I did a pretty big photo shoot, a three month photo shoot for Corona um, earlier this year, and we went, we did Hawaii, Australia, Maldives, um, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Chile, Mexico, yeah, and uh, and all my all the guys that were with me traveling with me, I mean they were like you know dying for coffee and like having slow mornings, and I was just like chipper the whole time, yeah, <laughs> and so I would like to think I have the winning formula. But yeah, it I'm, sounds I'm, like it. Well, one day I'll publish that. And, I'm going to give it a try. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. That's cool. And how about relationships like back home? Uh, if you're traveling so much, is that is it hard to keep them keep tight with people or pretty easy with the internet now? Um, yeah, that's that's always the tricky one. I mean, it's like I, I come and go from California so much that like um, I've – yeah, it's tough. That's like uh, that's another thing that kind of eats it. But you know what? I just spend a little more time and energy when I'm home in California, like being with the ones that I really love, and yeah. it's definitely tightened my inner circle. Sure. Um, yeah. And I still have my best friends, and I have my family, and like, and then even when I'm traveling, like actually, if I looked at my my five six closest friends, ones in Florida, ones in L.A., ones in San Francisco, ones in Australia, ones in France, and then I have like two or three back home in California too, and. It's tough, but like, you know, uh, I text, I have several group chats. I text with them. I see them all like several times a year at least. And then when I'm in California, it's like I'm, I never left, you know, it's in Santa Barbara. It's pretty slow. And I like that, you know? Yeah. Well, man, it sounds like you have a life pretty much tailored exactly to you and your needs. And it seems like you spend a lot of time thinking about kind of who you are and what you value. So if you could send people to one piece of yours, where would you start them? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, if I if I I would recommend for people to check out one thing, it'd probably be my my Vimeo page. I'm about to put out a couple new videos in the next several months, and that's been a kind of a, a decided goal of mine is to to make a video almost every month now because it's, nice. it's been a bit slow going recently. But yeah. um, there's some work on there that I'm really passionate about, and uh, and I think that kind of segues into my photography as well. And um, I'm always very particular, like my my motion piece. It's just kind of like a, a, a cinematography and director's reel of everything that I shot. Um, but I'm very passionate about it because I think, or very proud of it because it exemplifies like a lot of the places I've been and people I've been fortunate enough to work with. And and um, and it was, you know, it's a it it represents and embodies a dream of mine, and that was to to, to make films and to travel the world. And I think that shows like. Took me about ten years, if maybe a bit longer. If I was 
12, 13 and, and looking at a map saying, well, one day I want to go there and I want to shoot Kelly Slater or I want to do a fashion shoot in Barbados or, or um, you know, climb these mountains in Australia. Mm-hmm. And like I, I kind of like I worked my butt off and that film kind of surmises like a, a, all my blood, sweat and tears along the way. And, um, and I think it's kind of like a precursor of a lot of pretty cool things that are coming down the pipeline too I'm working on right now. Right on, yeah. So the motion piece kind of sums up everything that you've worked on. Yeah, every, and I think the wa- the water as well. It's like I'm a, I'm in the throes of making a new one, but the water piece is, is it really shows my. I think I I think like more and more it expresses my love and and passion for the ocean, which has given me almost like everything inspiration and and you know lifestyle wise. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites as well. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no worries. Crazy schedule. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed it, you can head over to iTunes. Feel free to subscribe or you can check out the website. And we also post these podcasts on YouTube. If you enjoyed it, you can leave a review on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the monthly email. 